0: You might be wondering what this gun is for. Don't worry, I'm not going to threaten you guys so, so you will listen to me. But um, I'll tell you in a minute why the gun is there. But um, before I, I start, I just want to comment on something. Because I think it's, I just God spoke to me when Roger was sharing um, her testimony when she went to Greece. Just before that, we were praying, breathe on us, breathe on us, God. And when God breathed in us or on us, it brings life. But when we pray, uh, God breathes in us. He's not just breathing on us so that he can give us life, but also through us we can bring life to others. And I thought, I thought that was just a, a powerful moment there. Then What an example of God breathing life in us, but at the same time we're being used by God to bring life to others. And I also have in my heart, while well, we're singing, breathe, breathe in us. And I, I feel that maybe one or two here you're in a situation, and God wants to breathe life in that particular situation. Maybe in a relationship or whatever, whatever you're struggling is. God is able to bring life in that particular situation. So just be, just be encouraged. Just just be encouraged. And Roger, thank you again for your obedience. Um, you know what? It's not only bringing life to others. It's bringing life to all of us here. And that's, that's encouraging because, you know, we all need God's life. <laughs> Yeah, so we're going we're gonna to continue our series on Holy Grace, and uh, Stuart started this last Sunday, and this morning I'd like to talk about the call to be holy, the call to be holy. Now, if you have been a Christian for a while, you may have heard of messages about this topic, and I, I have. I have heard so many talks about this this particular topic, and I must admit that Some of them are not just unhelpful, but also damaging to the faith. I'm not here to criticize those teachings. It's just I understand where they're coming from. I understand that they're frustrated with the brokenness in people's lives, in people's heart, and they want to just emphasize that call to be holy. But the reason why it's damaging and it's unhelpful is that oftentimes it's taken out of the context of the whole gospel. So basically, we hear this message of, come on, be good. You know, be morally upright without any sort of divine intervention. And you're left feeling guilty, feeling condemned, and feeling so pressured to be like Jesus from a place that you're just so broken. I I can't be like Jesus, you know. And and, and there's, there's a value in that call but, the, you know, it's just we have to be careful that we're not taking that, this particular call out of the context of the whole gospel. What should be an amazing opportunity, an amazing call from God, beautiful call from God, sometimes when we hear those kind of messages, we, this is, is almost daunting or, or, or it leaves us feeling burdened. Do you know what I mean? And that's why I, I understand why some people... When they hear about messages like this, they're, they're like put off. You know, I, I don't like to hear that anymore because I don't want anyone to tell me I'm broken or I, you know, I need to be like that, but I'm not clearly like, like, like that person, like, like Jesus. But as a result of that kind of teaching, a lot of people swung to the other extreme, which is also unhelpful. You know, um, Stuart mentioned last Sunday that, you know, in, in the Jewish literature, when they mention treat or repeat, Um, stuff, it means it's really important. And there's only one word pertaining to God's nature that is repeated three times. It means off the charts in terms of importance. It's really important. And that is the holiness of God. And when people diminish that nature, we lose a very important aspect of the Christian faith. Because we're reacting to this sort of condemning message. We went we swung to the other side, diminishing God's holiness, and then we end up actually cheated. You know? You know, we, we fall short, and we miss that abundant life that Stuart was sharing a while ago. And so, and I'd like to approach this subject, again, from the context of the whole, you know, message of the Bible, the gospel. So where, where do we start? Start with the gun. Okay. This is a Nerf gun. How many of you know what a Nerf gun is? I see a lot of boys. (laughs) Okay, if you don't know what a Nerf gun is, it's basically a toy gun that that shoots foam darts, foam bullets. Now, this particular Nerf gun was given to me by Nathan Thompson. Where is he? Is he here today? Uh, Okay, he's downstairs. Okay, the story of this Nerf gun is, um, one day he came to me and said, Dominic, do you have a Nerf gun? I said, no, I don't. Really, you don't have a Nerf gun? No, no, I don't. Oh, and at that time we were we were um, planning to have an activity in the youth that involves using Nerf guns. So that Friday evening, you know, uh, he he came in from his work and then he was bringing a bag and said, "Dominic, I have I have something for you." So what's that? I bought you a Nerf gun. But I was over the moon. (laughs) I was so happy. I actually told him, "You know what? Can you can you take a picture of me?" And I was like (laughs) posing. And I said it to my brother. I was just so so excited. I have a nerf gun, and um, so we had that activity uh, in the youth. And then when I saw the nerf guns of the rest of the youth, I was like, "What? It's like automatic, and it fires stronger. It's like in my nerf gun, you have to pump, and then one pump, one shoot. All these things. Like I was jealous." <sighs> And so I have I had this brilliant idea. that I'm gonna redesign this nerf gun so it would shoot stronger. You know? And so I I, I researched in YouTube how to make you <laughs> know I actually did. I researched in YouTube, I you know, I, I searched how to basically you shorten the spring, whatever it is, you know, all this all this stuff. But there's one problem. I'm good in taking things apart, but I'm not so good. At <laughs> bringing them back together. <laughs> so I've taken all the stuff apart. <laughs> now it looks like a gun, but it's actually really broken. <laughs> you, know, you, you can't even shoot anymore. I, I basically, I've messed up the whole design. I've I just messed up the whole design. Now, why, why am I saying that? Because when you talk about the call to be holy, I think the first part you need to understand is the call to be holy is the call to go back to God's original design of us. You know, how did God design human beings? What was our purpose? What was our calling from the very, right from the very start? And this is it. And God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over the livestock, and all the wild animals, and over all creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And I've read this passage so many times, but I was asking the Lord, could you give me a deeper revelation of it? This is really a significant passage in the Bible. And I was going through Genesis again, and there's a clear separation of mankind from the rest of creation. When God created the other living creatures, God would say, let there be living creatures that crawl from the ground. Let there be living creatures that fly through in the sky, just paraphrasing. And it says, according to their own kind. Repeated twice, according to their own kind. But when God made the human being, God shifted from let there be a third person to let us it's a personal thing now. Let us make mankind in our image, not according to their own kind. In our image, in our likeness. Right from the very start, there's there's a clear separation of how special we are. We are not just mere physical beings. We have, God has given us the ability to think, to feel, to make moral choices, to make choices. And why did God do that? And the blessing of this image, we are, we are human beings precisely because of the image of God in us. And the reason for this is it's twofold relational and functional. When God created human being, let us make mankind in our own image. That means when anyone looks, looks at a human being, it should reflect something from God. Do you, do you know what I mean? And basically, it should also reflect the harmony of unity of the Trinity. Let us make mankind in our own image, relational, for right from the very beginning, we are designed to have that relationship with God. The reason why we are able to feel, to think, and to make choices so that we can relate to God Primarily, first, we can relate to God. We can have this amazing intimate relationship. You know what? In that story when it says God walked in the garden in the cool of the day? A lot of, a lot of biblical scholars, it's actually an, an intimation that it's been the usual thing that they've been doing. God has been walking with the, in the garden with Adam and Eve. They've communed regularly. How, how cool is that? Right from the very beginning, we were designed to be like that. To have an intimate relationship with God. But not only that, functional. God gave us the blessing to rule over the rest of creation, to have dominion over the rest of creation. Now, I'd like to say at this point, God's ruling is never the same with man's ruling, okay? God's ruling is meant to flourish, to protect, to empower. You know, God's, man's ruling is to control, dominate, to bring death. Right from the very beginning, we were set apart for that specific purpose. That we were meant to, you know, and and not only that. Think about this. All of the, the rest, the whole of creation is God's. But God, sorry, delegated authority to human beings. And so you would rule over creation, even though he rules over creation, but he delegated that authority to us. How awesome is that? But not only on our own, it, right from the very beginning, there's a collaboration going on. I'd like you to rule in behalf of me. Do you know, do you know what I mean? I'd like you to display my character, my nature to all of creation through, through you. How awesome is that? Right from the very beginning, this is our design. And because precisely of this image of God, this is why we value every human being. Genesis 9:6, God prohibits murder because man is made in his likeness." James chapter three verse nine, it says, you, the, "The author prohibits cursing in mankind because man is created in his own image." So this doctrine should have a massive impact on the way we see others and the way we see ourselves. I was reminded whenever I argue with my, with my wife, I should remember that she is created in God's image. When you have a fallout with your boss, I don't know, whatever, remember that that person is created in God's image. That's why we stand against trafficking, human trafficking. We stand against slavery, what, you know, we, we ache if like Roger's stories, you know, these human beings were like cheated and like they're being taken advantage of because precisely of their value, of their value. And Think about yourself. No matter how broken you think you are, you are created in the image of God. But there's one problem. Like this, gun, we have redesigned. We have redefined God's original design. And not only we have redefined that, we are still redefining. We're still messing God's original design. Now we end up in all this mess. We have redefined what it means to be a man. We have redefined what it means to be a woman. We have redefined marriage. We have redefined family. And God's call is for us to go back to that place. Because of this, man tried to go back. Man knows that they're in a mess. So they want to go back to that design. They want to go back. And one of the ways man attempted to do that is through the law. Through the law. They think man, by abiding, especially the Pharisees, by abiding to the law, they become the human being God intended them to be. But Jesus said, that's never enough. The law is never meant to fix the broken design. Hebrews 10, verse 1, it says, The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming. They're not realities themselves. And it goes on to say, Because of this, or for this reason, by the same sacrifice repeated endlessly year after year, never make perfect those who come to worship. The law can never fix us. Jesus even even, even, um, showed this in, in, in Matthew chapter 5. He said, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So basically, the righteousness of the Pharisees are based on the law. He said, but abiding in the law does not make you the human being God intended you to be. It's not enough. And he says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you should not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. So in the law... You can have all the anger in the world you want in your heart. As long as you don't murder, you're okay. But God said, no, that's not your original design. You're designed to have no unholy anger in your heart. That's your design. Not that you, you know, murder is only a, an outflow of, of what's the brokenness of your, in your heart. And then it says, you have heard it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So you can, in the law, you can lust all all you want in your heart. As long as you don't commit adultery, you're okay. But God said, no, that's not your original design. That's not the abundant life I'm talking about. That's not, you know, that's still in slavery. You are called to have no lust in your heart. That's your original design and the law focuses on the things that we should do. But God's design says, no, you should, it's not about the, what you do, but who you are. Which brings up the second point. The call to be holy is primarily a matter of being, not of doing. We can't be holy by acting like one. Now, I understand that holy, being holy involves doing holy stuff. But our doing should flow from our being. In order for us to be, to go back to the original design, there must be a radical transformation from within, so that we can be holy, not just do holy stuff. So when man was broken, you near know, the pieces of God's image is still in our hearts. That's why we still understand what's right and wrong. Right. That's why any. And even though people are not Christians, they know what's right and wrong. They, they, they have it in their hearts. Do you know what I mean? I mean, even Paul wrote this in, in Romans 2.14, 2.14-15. 2, 14 he said, indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and other times even defending them. So the law was written in our hearts, but it's not about knowing right and wrong. It's about the brokenness that we are in, that we are. Because even though we know the good things that we should do, we we can't do it. Paul actually wrote it. We're going to read it later. Man is broken. How can we go back to the original design when we are so broken? And Paul expresses it this way. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, so legislative to sin. I do not understand what I do. For What I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that God itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. You see, in his inner being, he knows. He delights in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me and said, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Can you, can you feel his brokenness? There's a disintegrity in, in, in Paul's heart. Paul knew what's the right thing to do, but he can't do it. Do you know what I mean? Can you, can you relate to that? I can totally relate to that. I knew what the right thing to do, but it's, it's, I'm just so broken. But thankfully, Paul did not and here. He said, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. There's a story of a little girl who owned a, a por- porcelain doll. And this doll, she, I mean, she absolutely loved this doll. Um, she, she, th- this doll is put in, in, on a dresser, and every morning she would, she would get the doll, comb the hair of the doll, kiss the doll, dress the doll. She, she just absolutely loved the doll. And I put it back on the dresser again. One day, um, you know, she was spending time with her father and then he said, okay, let's have vilified. So, you know, have so that, you know um, she hit her father once and her father just hit her a little bit and the second time she hit her father a bit stronger and her father being very competitive, <laughs> something was awakened in him. Oh no, I can't be beaten by my daughter. So he tried to swing very hard to hit her daughter but as soon as he did that, he knocked the porcelain doll over and it fell on the floor and the doll was broken into pieces. And the daughter saw the doll. Daddy, what have you done? Her heart was also broken. And the father feeling so guilty, oh honey, honey, um, I'm I'm just gonna I'm just gonna buy you a new doll. You know, it's it's okay, I'll get you a new new doll. And the little girl said, No, I don't want any other doll. I want this doll. Just because it's broken, it's never meant we throw it away. And I love that about our God. Just because we are broken, doesn't mean that God throws us away. No matter how broken you think you are, God is never put off of your brokenness. You know, I... I play a lot with my son, and, and I have this toy, and he has this toy, and it's broken. I said, oh, let's, let's, I'll buy you a new toy. He said, no, Papa, I'll fix this with my, with my tools. He likes to fix stuff. I don't know what fixing is. But, um, of, you know, oftentimes we have that mentality. Whatever's broken, we just throw it away. And sometimes, yeah, I understand that, but sometimes we apply that mentality to human beings and to our relationships. Guys, just because your marriage is broken, it doesn't mean you throw it away. Just because family is broken, it doesn't mean it's meant to be thrown away. Just because a church, a church full of broken people, doesn't mean you write this off. That's God's heart. God is not put off. In fact, David, David said, after David's sinned, you know what he said? He said this, the call to be holy is the call to trust God's ability to heal our brokenness. He said this. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. Wow. What do you do with our brokenness? Give it to God. That's where it should be. Our brokenness should be placed at the feet of the Father, because God said, I will not despise. Your brokenness. In fact, Paul said, I would rather boast in my weakness. We shouldn't be ashamed of brokenness. Church should be a place where we can be honest. But it's not, it's one thing, again, it's one thing to be, you know, it's not about pity party, but we're honest about brokenness, but at the same time, trust God's ability to mend our brokenness. To heal our brokenness. And God the Father did that by sending his own son to be broken for our brokenness. He said, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How amazing is that? We are righteous in Christ. We are holy in Christ. He says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds, we are healed. Our brokenness is healed in Christ. In Christ. And I was talking a while ago about radical transformation that must take place within. In Jesus, I mean, when, the moment we put our trust in Jesus, there's a radical transformation, and the Bible describes it as being reborn. Do You know what I mean? That, that radical, something... Within us, Paul was talking about a while ago, it's not in me doing the sin, it's, it's a sin living in me. That part of our human being, when we put our trust in Jesus, is dead. And we have been reborn to a new life in Christ. And this is amazing, because we're not only, you know, we're not only, God is only not, God is only, ab- not only able to, bring, to heal our brokenness, but he has also made us holy. We are called to be holy because we have been made holy. Holy. Hebrews. For he says, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish a second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. But not only were we made holy, we're also being made holy. He says, For by one sacrifice, He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Wow. You're being made, you have been made perfect, but you're also being made holy. How, how does the two go together? How do you reconcile that? Well, think about the, the reborn thing a while ago. When a baby grows older, it doesn't become more human. Do you know what I mean? It just grows to according who he is designed to be. Do you know do you know what I mean? So the call to holiness is just living out who we are declared to be. We're just holy. We are not more accepted, more forgiven, more loved by God. We are already loved by God right from the very beginning. Right from the very beginning. And the call to be holy is just growing in the process of again going back to the image. Going back to that design, the Bible talks a lot about this. In the new creation, in, in being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus, we are being transformed back into that image. Look at this. For those God for you, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Going back to the design, he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And we, all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his what? image going back to that design with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the spirit you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in righteousness and holiness and lastly and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator the call to be holy is going back the original design, even though Adam messed up, we have the second Adam, Jesus Christ. Someone said in order for us to better understand humanity, we have to look at Jesus. When we follow Jesus, we become the human being God intended us to be. We become more human. That's that's it. And the call to be holy is being conformed back to, to that image, to that design. Now, is there a consequence if we don't if we don't follow that call? don't adhere to that goal. Stuart mentioned it last, last Sunday. We'll miss out of the abundant life that God has promised. Remember that um, uh, analogy that Stuart said in the Hebrew castle. You know, you, you could have enjoyed looking at the, the castle, the gardens, whatever, what have you. I've never been to Hever castle, so I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> but if you, if you choose to stay a baby, to remain a baby, you won't be able to enjoy the fullness of life that God has given you. And that's why this call to be holy, is not a burden. It's like, God, this is the kind of life you are meant to live. This is the kind of life you, you were designed right from the very start. So I'm calling you to be conformed to the image of my son, Jesus. Because the moment you do that, that's the only way we can be truly satisfied because we become who we really are in God when we grow to become more like Jesus. But that call, the amazing thing about our God is He doesn't leave us on our own. You know what I mean? He calls us to grow, but He gives us the power to do so. So the call to be holy is the call to rely on God's power in us. His divine power has given us everything we need for a... Godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. We're not only designed to, be, to go back to our original design, God has given us the ability, the power to go back to original design. And in the process of going to back to original design, and this is, this is one thing I, I'm just reflecting. You're also called, called to... Call forth the image of God to those who do not believe it in Jesus. And I, I realize the moment we, we judge others, I'll say whatever it is, people are hurt, those who are not believers, we actually stamp on that image. Our call is to call forth that image in every unbeliever you, you are created in the image of God. You may not say out you know, directly, but you're called for whatever way God has designed you to do that. So when Rojo does it, Rojo is saying, you guys are valuable. You guys are worth my time coming here. <laughs> worth my money coming here because you are made in the image of God. I hope that message is loud and clear. That's our, that's our calling as well. Part of becoming more like Jesus is to call forth the image of God in other people. I think it was Oli who shared this to me. Um, remember that story of um, Jesus being tested by the Pharisees. Uh, you know, the Pharisees said, Jesus, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And and she said, why are you hypocrites, why are you testing me? And said, Give me a denarius. And and she said, Whose image is in it? And said, uh, Caesar's. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Well, what is God's? Everyone that bears his image. Everyone that bears His image. So we are all meant to go back to God, to be given to God. Let's pray.